Amen. Is he the source of your strength? And if he is indeed the source of your strength, is he the strength of your life? If he is, then the only natural response is total praise. I praise God that we are part of the family of God. Why? Because we see that he is, and as we have been seeing, not only all-powerful, he has all authority. Do you know the one with the most authority runs everything? The one with the authority rules. And so we serve a God who has been showing us and demonstrating and demonstrating to us repeatedly that he has all authority and that he reminds us of that all the time when we open the pages of scripture. We're not reading the words of a God that is hoping this stuff comes true, that he is trying to figure out how he can make it come to pass how he hope he hasn't overstated himself. You don't see any type of, 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 of weakness when God speaks. What you do see, what you hear, what you read, what you understand is God speaking from authority. I mean, the way that the Bible started itself was with an authoritative statement. You notice that the Bible does not start trying to prove anything to you and I. God makes a statement, in the beginning, God. And then throughout his pages, he is constantly reminding us, I have all authority. And then when he sent his son in his great plan of redemption to die for us, as I've said repeatedly, and I'm keep saying it, when he now had finished all that God had planned for him, he stands before his disciples and he encourages them with, now all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, what? Go. Wow. So what do you go? You go on the command of the one who has all authority. And in case we forget it, in case we get to that point where it seems like something's not going right or it's not going the way I want it. That's what we usually mean when we say things are not going right usually means they're not going the way I wanted it. They could be going perfectly right according to God's plan, but perfectly wrong according to mine. But when things are not going as I wish that they would have, what ends up happening is I have to be reminded that God has all authority and nothing slips by him. There are no oops moments with the Lord. There are no, hmm, what am I going to do? See, because as I've said before, God talks about it. He's a God who knows the end from the beginning. So your, your, what's a hiccup to you was known to him. And I want us, as we, as we listen to this, as we go through Matthew um, up to chapter 10, as we go through this, I want us to hear it. I want us to hear it with the ears that God has ultimate authority. And if he's commanding us to do something, it is because we are able to do it. If he, are, if he is commanding us to live in a particular way, it is because he knows we can live that way. Why? Because he's empowering. 
And if he's doing the empowering, we should be doing the living. If he's doing the empowering, we should be doing the living. Stand with me, please, and stand and turn to your, and, and your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. You know, last week I made this a two-parter because um, I knew that we wouldn't finish with detail that I wanted to, what we were looking at. And this one is the call of Matthew. But let's read, if you, um, Matthew chapter 9, 9 through 13, or in the centerfold of your bulletin, it's there as well. And let's read together. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Father, I pray that again that we would indeed be attentive to your word. In Christ's name, amen. amen. You may be seated. As we saw last week, and as a matter of fact, in all of what is called the what are called, excuse me, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this story appears right after the one that we just talked about last week. In other words, the story of the paralytic in which Jesus was now healing a man, um, and, and, um, but, but in the process of his healing forgave his sins. And as we were looking at this, part of what we see is something we don't know what, but the nature of the text and the context of it shows us that something he did led to where he was. This wasn't just a general um, sin causes sickness, although that's part of the message here. That the reason you and I have sickness in our bodies in this world is ultimately um, because of the sin sickness of man. And so that's why there is illness and, 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 and that's why there's disease in our world. But also in this particular case, there are sometimes ways in which we can live, things in which we can do, choices in which we can make that will cause some sickness to come in our lives. Come on, we know that. If I have a bad diet and I do it long enough, I might end up being diagnosed with diabetes or high blood pressure or something else. Now, we also know that some of that is hereditary, and of course, that, it, that actually comes in, but, but some of the decisions we make, people that have, um, that have abused drugs for years in their body, down the line, they have an adverse effect on their health. Things that we can do can cause sickness in our body. And so in this particular case, we don't know and we don't need to know what he had. Well, what he have? It's none of your business. We don't need to know. Here's what we did know is that he was sick to the point where it paralyzed him. Uh, two things that were going on here that we like. One, sin does paralyze. You know, it does. Now, Physical sickness does paralyze, but the, but the greater part of the story is sin paralyzes. And if your life is characterized by sin, even if you think you're free, there is a paralysis going on. There 
are some things that you are unable to enjoy and to do. Why? Because you are, because you have indulged yourself repeatedly over time in sin. And see, here's the deal. God won't, many times God won't do something right away. What he will do is let you have the effects of your choices later on down the line. I know about that. I don't know of anyone. I know about that. God has at many times not stopped me from sinning. But he's going, hold on just a minute because your sin is going to stop you in your tracks. And it has. And I knew the times when I thought I was getting away and I thought I was getting over and God's like, no one ever gets over with sin. It comes back to you in some way and that somehow and, and most likely at the worst time. And I bore the effects of it in my body or in a situation that was happening around me. And, and you know what? As Jesus comes up, he looks at him with passion and he tells him to take heart. Why would he need to take heart? He thought he was finished. He thought everything, whatever he did, got him here and now he's done. And Jesus looks at him and says, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. See, no one knew what that meant except him. And when God speaks to you and sometimes you hear a word and people are looking at you cross-eyed and strange because of the way you're responding to it. And you say to them, you don't know what just happened. You don't know what the Lord just said to me. And so he sets him free. And of course, we know that the point there also, Jesus heals this man, forgives his sins, heals him. And then mic drop moment turns to the Pharisees who here's what gets me. They are so turned and twisted that he said, your sins are forgiven, that, that, that they later missed the fact that this man got up and left, who had to be carried in by his friends. And so Jesus shows, and he says it here, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He tells the young guy, get up and walk, and he does. And so then he leaves there, and we get into our current account in our current story. And it just says he leaves. We don't know the timeline. We don't know when it happened. And, and really, that's not the focal point. Sometime after he left dealing with the paralytic, he goes out by the sea, out by the lake. He goes out and, and something happens. And this morning, if I want to put a tag on this, I will say Jesus calls the worst to follow him. Jesus calls the worst to follow him. Because as we see in the beginning here, Jesus demonstrates that he came to call the sin sick to follow him in faithful obedience. He did not come to call those that think they are righteous. That's a sobering thing to hear this morning. Jesus came to call the sin sick to follow him in faithful obedience. Not those who think they've got it all together and that they're okay. And so as we see, it says, verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Mark and Luke call him Levi, still his name. Um, a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, just two words, follow me. And he rose and followed him. I want to stop there for a second. The first point I want us to look at is how Jesus calls the worst of us. Jesus sees those that others don't want to see. 
Jesus sees those that others don't want to see. First thing with Matthew, you have to understand, when it says that Jesus saw him, it wasn't like you walking down the street, oh, I saw so-and-so yesterday. You just kind of glanced, they caught your attention, and I saw you. You know, I was somewhere, and I saw so-and-so. It's not what that word means. That word saw actually means that he looked with intent that he intentionally looked, and as a matter of fact, the greater meaning of that word means he looked with discernment. He was discerning, and in, in essence, what he did is that he came that way specifically for Matthew. And for some of us this morning, you think it was by chance that you heard, that you received the word, that you were at the place where, no, Jesus intentionally calls us. What's in mind here is election, too. Matthew had probably heard of Jesus because he lived in Capernaum, and that was Jesus' home base. We don't know how much of him that he knew about, but we have to assume, we do have to presume that he heard something because Jesus had to hide coming back into Capernaum. Remember, when he was in the house where he ended up healing the paralytic, that one of the Gospels shared that he hid, he came in quietly. Why? Because now his popularity was on a rise. People knew that he was a healer. People knew that he could change your life, that he could touch you, or he could just speak and things happen. And so now he had to not just walk out in public, but on this day, he walks out and he walks down by the sea and he sees or he, he intentionally focuses on, he discerns Matthew. What does he discern about him? He sees his need. What is it? Matthew doesn't even know that he has this great need. Jesus sees that he needs to follow him. And for you and I today, even when we don't realize and we don't see it, Jesus sees that we need to follow him. And he will set it up. He will put people and put things in place so that you know that he is calling you to follow and so Jesus sees who others don't want to see. Why do I say that Jesus sees who doesn't want to see? Because you have to understand the tax collector. No one wanted to see Matthew. Matthew was set up as you came off the seashore. Tax collectors, in this particular case, this was a customs. Um, and he was like a customs officer. I mean, customs and duties. You know, when you come back from overseas somewhere, when you come back from outside of the country, they have you fill out that form. What do you have to declare? Why do they want that? Because they want to know what you bought? No, they're not interested in what you bought. They're interested in how much what you bought cost and if they need to take any money for it. And so it's customs. Certain things that you bring in, if they're over a certain amount, you get taxed on them. And so it was no different here, except in the Roman government, corruption was high. And went long. And so the tax collector, these were Jewish individuals that were, that were brought on by the Roman government to collect taxes from and, and, and actually duties from the people at these entry points, among other places. And so Matthew would set up his booth right along the lakeside. But here was the difference. Because the Roman government didn't care too much about how much you took, they just wanted theirs. And because of that, as you know, what ends up happening is tax collectors could take however much they wanted from you, and the Roman government wouldn't say anything 
So if, if, if the custom duty was $100, the tax collector could, could require from you $500. He keeps four, give the Roman government one. Case closed, deal done. These guys made lots of money, but they made it taking advantage of their own people. So much so now that in Jewish culture back at that time, tax collectors were considered unclean. And if you were considered unclean, guess where you couldn't go? To the synagogue. Guess where you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't fellowship among the people. You couldn't hang out with everyday folk. You were ostracized. You were spurned. You were hated. You were listed as a sellout. Why? Because the Roman government already was an oppressor, and here you was joining in with them in collecting what you know you shouldn't to make yourself rich. And so Matthew was sitting at his booth doing what he always does, and everyone coming off that seashore would see him and would probably groan because they knew they had to pay up with whatever they were bringing in. And so he was sitting there making his money, going about his business, doing his thing, hated by everyone except other tax collectors. And Jesus is making a beeline to him. See, some of us would be mad at Jesus. Why are you talking to him? Don't you know he's the oppressor? Why are you saying anything to him? Why don't you just let him go his own way? Why are you saving him? All these other people around here, why you got to focus on this guy? Jesus calls the worst to follow him. Jesus saw what others don't want to see. Matthew was doing what everyone hated him for. Matthew was doing what his society shunned. Because he took advantage of his own people, but also they were considered in the lot of what was called sinners. There were two kinds of sinners back then. There were the everyday folk. Now, this is in terms of the Pharisees. This is not according to the word of God, because according to the word of God, the Pharisees were lumped in with the sinner group, but they didn't think they were. And so the Pharisees now, they listed them, those people that did not follow strictly to the rules that the Pharisees laid out, they were sinners. You sinners. They get on my nerve, them average common folk, sinners. And that's how they looked down upon, and that was the majority of the people, which is why the Pharisees didn't associate with them. And see, here's what this was. This was a religious elite. It's dangerous when you form a religious elite. It's dangerous when you have a us and them mentality. The reason they hated Jesus, because Jesus hung out with the folk that they would not. Jesus, as we will see later, had dinner with the folks they wouldn't dare dream of having dinner with. Jesus valued those that they saw as unvaluable or only to feed their ego. And for them to follow them, these poor, uneducated sinners need us Pharisees to make it. And you know what? Whenever and if ever we as a church fail to reach out to our community and all we do is meet with those that come in and that have agreed to come here, we don't have a church. I read this before. We have a country club. That's all we have. See, because Christ is demonstrating what he does is that he goes out 
to those that are in need of being made well because of the sin in their life and because of the effects that sin has on our world, and he makes it right. The religious elite wants to make sure that they are seen as better than everyone else and that they don't belong like everyone else there, and they stand apart from him, them, not looking to help them. See, here was my point. No one reached out to Matthew to bring him the word from the Old Testament. No one gave him anything that would change his life. Everyone ignored him. They hated what he did. They hated who he was. I bet you they probably said he deserved everything bad that happens to him. And many times that is the way the church is to the world. We are mad at sinners. And I'm like, why are we mad? Number one, we were once them. That's number one. Number two, that's why Christ came. And so instead of being mad at them, now it doesn't mean that you go along with their sin, but I actually want to say, why are we mad at those that are not walking with Christ? They are the ones that need to be rescued. And we're mad at them. And Jesus is exposing these Pharisees for who they are. Hypocrites who are more sinful than the people that they are calling sinners. Because they can't even see that God in the flesh is standing in their face. Demonstrating day in and day out that he is God in human form. He is showing them time and time again that he has ultimate authority. And they keep pushing back because they don't know him. And so now Jesus comes up and he sees him. He sees this criminal part of this criminal element. You know who else was included in the sinner? So there were those that didn't abide by the rules. And then the second kind were the list that you usually see in Scripture. They were the tax collectors. They were the prostitutes. And they were the Gentiles. Those were the three that you see mentioned a lot in Scripture. And when you see those three mentioned, that really has become a category for that criminal, for that element that, that, that no one wants to deal with. That is the red light district people of, 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 of the old Middle Eastern world. See, I hadn't realized, I heard about it where we lived and in Europe they have red light districts like like for real, like, like red lights are on them at night because they, because they section off where they could be and they can't be all over the city. And I learned that they have to be in by a certain time, like vampires. They can only come out at night, seriously, and they have to be in by a certain time during the day. Otherwise, you will get arrested. It's legalized. And, and I heard about this and and had not seen, thank God, had not known, thank God, anything about it. And one day I was going to the gym that I had a membership in for one year, and I decided to drive that day. I usually take the public transportation over. And so when I drove, I asked um, early in the week, where's the parking lot? Because I heard they had free parking, which in Switzerland is rare. And so they said around the back. So I pull around the back, and as I pull around the back, I said, well, here's the red light district. I was like, wow. And so I pull in, and I'm just looking straight, because they're looking all in my cars like, I'm not here for you. I'm going into the parking lot. And when I came out, I looked, say, I'm not here for you. I'm going into the parking lot. 
But it was the red light district. And, and, and everyone avoided that area unless you wanted something to do with that area. And these people were like red light people. No one wanted to deal with them. No one. And so they were hopelessly stuck where they were. And Jesus makes a beeline for whom no one else wanted to deal with. Because he has the authority. We just saw it with the paralytic. To forgive sin and to heal what sin has caused. And he comes to Matthew and he has two words for him. I love it. He doesn't say, you need to get yourself together, Matthew. He didn't come up and say, what you doing? Abusing your own people. Dude, you a sellout. You need to change your ways. Didn't do that either. What did he say to him? Follow me. Here's like what Jesus did. Jesus calls who, I mean, those in sin to follow him. Jesus calls, listen to what he does. He calls them to follow him. He's not what he said. Listen, y'all need to listen to what those Pharisees are saying and abide by all their rules. He doesn't say that. He says, follow me. He says, no, 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 no. You, 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 need, to, you need to follow the system that I'm putting together. No, he says, follow me. He didn't say follow a system. He didn't say follow people. He didn't say follow this group. He said, follow me, a person. Why? Because he was going to demonstrate to them how they should live. And then he was going to empower them that they could live that way. And so following him was the only right thing to do. See, people right now today are being led astray by people who claim to know Christ. Why? Because we're telling them to do everything else but follow Jesus. And so, and there is nothing wrong with saying, follow me as I follow Christ. That actually is a good thing. Paul wasn't being arrogant when he said that. Paul wasn't being out of his mind. What he was doing was holding himself accountable as he was giving leadership to other people. When you tell someone, look at me, follow me as I follow Christ, you better be following Christ. Because once you say, follow me as I follow Christ, all eyes are on you. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't make a mistake, but what people should be able to see is that when you do make a mistake, what do you do? And that you're not continuing to fall in that same mistake. It is a good thing to be able to say to people, follow me as I follow Christ. Because now you know that your eyes are focused on the Lord and that you are given example to others to follow. Some of us think that means imperfection. You know, that, that, that I got to do this thing right all the time. I can never make a mistake. God's not saying that because Paul wasn't saying that. The only one that could say that was Jesus. But he says to you and I, he says, follow me. That's what he says, follow me. I love that, follow me. And that word follow means walk with me. In other words, walk in the same way as I'm walking. And it also means to attend to me and to follow, meaning to, to walk beside. And so what he is saying is that I'm walking this road, you walk it with me. See, Jesus didn't show us the way. Jesus just didn't. Tell us the way. That's what the disciples said. Remember, he said, Lord, show us the way that we may know. And he says to him, have you been with me this long and you don't know? No, Lord, we, we, we don't know. Jesus didn't show the way. He didn't tell the way. He didn't reveal it. He didn't describe it. Jesus said, I am the way. And so when you look at me, you are seeing the way to live. You're not hearing it only. 
You're seeing it. And when you see it, you know how you are to respond. How many people are you pointing to Jesus? Are you telling them to follow him? And if they need help in how that looks, look at me. That's sobering. Who are we telling that if we claim to be Christ followers? Or are we telling people, don't follow me, just follow Jesus? That's not Bible. <laughs> follow Jesus, yes. But you can look at me for some examples. And so Jesus calls those in sin to follow him. And we see it in the verse. And then if you look in Mark, now I'm going to turn to Mark chapter 2. Keep your finger in Matthew. Mark gives a little bit more detail. And if you want to, you got your bulletin or some paper, go to Luke chapter 5 and put that in there as well, because we're going to jump there just for a moment. Mark gives us a little bit more detail in Mark chapter 2, and you go to verse 13. Luke says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And, I mean, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with him. So now we get a little bit more detail. They're saying that we were at Matthew's house now. And so it says Matthew arose and followed him. If you look in Luke chapter 5, it says that actually Luke gives a little bit more detail. It says Matthew, when Jesus says to follow him, Matthew left everything and followed him. And so you're getting bits and pieces more you see what happened is that Matthew was excited to be called by the Lord and left everything. Understand what he left. He left that which was very lucrative, although he probably had to look over his shoulder a lot because he was hated. He left that which had him well, um, well provided for and well connected among the people that he hung out with. Understand this for a second. You see, you see demonstrated true salvation type obedience. Why? Because he left everything and there was no regrets. How do I know that there were no regrets? There were no regrets because he held a party that he was called. He held a celebration that he was now called to be a disciple of Jesus. He gets in his house and he calls the only people that would hang out with him. That's why you see other tax collectors and sinners. That, that's the only people that would hang with him. The Jewish Pharisees surely wouldn't because they were unclean, and, and the common folk probably wouldn't because they were what? Y'all were too far down the line. I might be a sinner, but y'all are sinners. <laughs> and so he calls all his sinful buddies over to meet Jesus because that's what happens when you come to Jesus. You realize what just happened. You realize the treasure that's been had. You realize what God has done and you want others to experience it. So he calls in his friends and guess what? Jesus comes. I can imagine that he was the talk of the town. Did you hear? Jesus walked into a house full of tax collectors, <laughs> sat down and was reclining. Now, you know, they didn't have kitchen tables like we did today. That's why they said that they were reclining. They weren't, they weren't out a bunch of lazy boy chairs there. 
the way they sat at the table, and you know it, they sat on these cushions, table there, and they reclined, feet out most times, as they leaned in on the table, and it meant intimate, personal fellowship. That's exactly what they did around the Last Supper. I know we got the picture of them sitting at the table on benches, but that's not how they ate. And so they sat in and they leaned in and Jesus was leaning. It says that Jesus was reclining. I'm sorry. They were reclining with Jesus. I like it. They did what he did. Jesus came in and got comfortable. They were like, well, okay, well, we're going to get comfortable then. <laughs> and for once, here was the rabbi, the teacher, bringing value to them by being in their house. But here was the other thing that I love about it. Understand this. If anyone else had come in there, they would be rendered unclean because they went amongst the unclean. Here is what I love. Jesus is the only one back then who can walk into unclean and stay clean. And so he did not become unclean. As a matter of fact, he goes into the unclean and makes them clean. And that's exactly what he did. He called Matthew, goes into a room full of unclean people and makes it clean. And you know what? That's what he calls you and I to do. He calls you and I because of the Christ in us, if you have trusted Christ, to go in and share the gospel. Not, 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 not condoning or being in their sin, but bringing the love of God and the gospel of Christ with you. See, he's not condoning just finding anybody and hanging out with him. Well, I'm being like Jesus. I'm going to the bar and I'm going to hang out with the brothers. No, nah, that's not why he came. Understand this. Jesus didn't come just to hang out with the brothers. He didn't come to shoot it. Give me a few drinks and I'm going to be just like y'all. No, Jesus came in so that they would know they needed to follow him. Who are you calling to follow Jesus? Where are you going to meet people to follow Jesus? Do you have that us and them mentality as a follower of Christ born? Lord, I can't be around them. They're going to they make me unclean. I'm going I'm I'm to be messed up if I'm with them. Well, then how will they ever know if clean doesn't show up? How do you know clean if you never see clean? See, I remember as a kid, boy, I learned clean over the years because my mother, that seemed to be a common phrase of hers. I would come in and, and, and she would tell me either clean the room, clean the bathroom. And, and, and this was before the days of rubber gloves. I, I, when, I, when I saw people using rubber gloves, I was like, people use those things? Because my mom didn't. And so you cleaned everything, toilets included. I've washed my hands many times since then, so don't worry. Um, toilets included, cleaning with just the hand and the, and the cloth or the sponge or whatever. But I would finish and I think I've done something and she would say, that's not clean. That's the way, what do you mean that's not clean? You know, and, and, and she would show where and, and she would go over where and I was like, Mom, really? That's not clean. Especially in her kitchen. That's not clean. You know? And so now you need to clean this counter off and, and no, you don't leave the sink like that. My kids today get the benefit of that. You don't leave the sink like that because I got that early on. And so, and so how would I know what clean is? If no one ever showed me clean, how will anyone ever know what clean living is if they never see you living clean? How? And so Jesus walks in and makes the unclean clean and makes the religious elite mad. He makes the unclean clean and the religious elite mad. 
And so Jesus calls those who are in sin to follow. But lastly, those who don't know Jesus will reject his mission and actions. Those who don't know him, and I'm not, and, and they could be those that go to church. Those that don't know him will reject his mission and his actions. They may come to your Bible studies. They may come to your small groups. They may come to all your religious functions. But when you reject the mission of Jesus, you don't know him. They come by and Matthew is changed. He will no longer be sitting at that booth. He gave that up with all the money and all the connection and everything else that was there. He gave it all up. And follow Jesus. And now people are now, instead of being excited that one of these sellouts was turned into caring about their own people because of Jesus, they're mad. And so they said to his disciples, why does your master eat with tax collectors? What is his problem? And Jesus heard about it because they probably wouldn't told him. Because they were always looking for a way to trap Jesus. And Jesus comes to them and says to them, not their disciples, says to them. He comes back. He says, let me tell you something. Those who are well don't need a physician. See, but here's my deal. We think that means if I'm okay, I don't need a doctor. No, that was a rebuke. What he was saying is, those of you who think you're righteous, I'm not coming for because you don't see me, I mean, because you don't see your need for me. You don't think you're in sin. You don't think you have sin. You don't think anything is wrong. Thus, I didn't come for you. When you realize that you are in sin, that you can't do anything of, an, I mean, of yourself, that you can't, you can't save yourself, you can't make yourself good, there is nothing good that resides in you, Jesus says, here I am. See, the deal becomes what the Pharisees didn't realize that he was saying. He says, I didn't. He says, I don't demand sacrifice. Listen to what he was saying. You think because you are making all these sacrifices, which they really weren't at all. They were all status builders. You think because you're making these sacrifices that somehow I recognize your good works and now you are deserving of salvation. Jesus says, mm-mm. You missed it. You're not deserving of it at all. He says, I don't want your sacrifice. He says, your mercy, which he was demonstrating that, is what you need. So he says to us, while you're busy sacrificing, trying to make yourself good enough for me to recognize you, I don't even see you because I didn't come for you. Why? Because you don't think you need me. All you think I am is to rubber stamp your goodness. And God says, I don't do that. We see in Romans that there is no one good. No one. All have sinned and come short of God's glory. And he says to them that day, he says, those that are well don't need a physician, but those that are sick. When you look at Mark, he says, I didn't come for those that are well, but I came for the sick. And I will ask you today, are we busy just hanging out with those that have been made well by Christ? If we are, we're missing the mission. He said that I came for those 
who are sick. Sick where? Sick in sin. Remember, we just heard the story of the paralytic. Why was he sick? Because of sin. And so Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. At the end of the story, what do you hear? He says to him, I came for those who were sick. Sick where? In sin, just like that paralytic was. And just like our world is filled with. And I say to us, do we see them? Are we mad at them? Do we want them to follow Jesus? Or are we on the wrong mission? We are here to establish an elite class of people like us, right? No. We are here to call those who are sinful to repentance. I love this Matthew followed. That is the heart of a true believer. A true disciple will get up, follow at all cost, and do not regret it. Have you ever said, man, if I hadn't come to Jesus, none of this would be happening to me. I said, be careful. Are you regretting your decision? Are you regretting that he changed you? Are you regretting that he gave you life, that he rescued you from sure damnation, that he changed the course of your life? Oh, no, you don't like that it's hard. None of us do, but be careful. When you go, if I had not come to Jesus, none of this would be happening. Yeah, and you would be on your way to hell. Here's my issue. Understand this clear. Jesus calls the worst to follow him, and we are all the worst. See, the Pharisees' problem is they thought they were the worst. And we all have those they people. We all have our categories of people that are worse than us. Those, and you fill in the blank. We all have them. Whether they're cultural, whether they're life choices, whether they're sexual, we have our those people. And while we are pointing to those people, Jesus is walking toward those people. Because that's who we came for. And those of us that stand as elitists, boy, we need to be real careful that we are not on the wrong side. Jesus said, I didn't come for the sick. I'm like, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. What are we doing? Here's some questions I have. Are you angry at who Jesus wants to reach? Do you avoid sinners? Are they too dirty for you? Are, quote unquote, those people deserving of being shunned? Is there anyone too bad for you to be among? I'm not saying that they're your big buddies and that they're your close friends, but... Can you be among them at all? I put, we have to be careful. Jesus did not fellowship with sinners to condone their sin, but to call them to obedient following. Jesus did not to condone it, but to call them to follow him. Let's do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us of yourself. I thank you, Lord, that we have been called by you. Father, we are the worst. Just like Matthew, we